wherever you are. <laughs> <No problem. laughs> right, so yeah, I think um, maybe wait like another minute or so for Jack. I know he's definitely here. Cool. In the meantime, while we're waiting for him, um, why don't you guys have a quick thing? Uh, so obviously our topic today is all around uh, time management, so how to be more efficient um, and have the correct mindset that allows us to really optimize our use of time. So when we talk about goals around time management, we tend to sort of have a general, very vague sense of that we, we want to be better at time management, that that would be useful to us. Um, and that's a great starting point, but I wanna encourage everyone to just for a moment, think really specifically about what, what changes would actually improve your experience of time. What would you want to have happen differently? So for example, do you wanna be more efficient during your workday? Do you want to um, really be able to separate out your work time versus your personal time versus your time with family and friends? Um, maybe both of those things sound great. Um, is there a feeling of overwhelm around busyness or managing time in any particular area of your life? So just think about that. Maybe jot a few things down while we're waiting for Jack and see if we can get a little bit more specific around this goal setting um, so that as we're working through the content today, we can really address those specific things that we want to change. So what are you guys coming coming up with? What's coming to mind? I've, I've written down, so basically when I, when I plan my weeks, so I normally do it on a Saturday. I'll plan mm -hmm. out, but then it seems that I'll do everything on one or two days and then not leave anything for the week. Because I think, oh, that that's they're like quick tasks, but then it tends to take like the whole day to do one and then I've got nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. So almost like there's, there's, okay, so a couple different things. So one is that the task isn't taking the amount of time that you actually are predicting it will. So, yeah. and is that, does that feel like a problem? Like, does it feel like you've only allocated, you know, two hours to do this thing and then all of a sudden it ends up taking six hours? Yeah, it's, I think I've started to give like, um, like buffer, when I write in my diary, like if I think I was going to take an hour, I'll put an hour and a half just so mm -hmm. it kind of goes either side. Um, but yeah, it just seems to be like Monday, Tuesday, I'm really busy. And then kind of, it just like goes down throughout the week where I've done everything I think I need to do in those first two days. Okay. And then is it a feeling, so that for the rest of the week, it's a feeling of sort of a lack of direction maybe? Is yeah. That fair to say? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So um, I think that's going to come down to some interesting, a bit of a conversation around get, first of all, think really thinking a bit more intentionally about how you actually want to be spending your time in all the different areas of your life, aside from work as well. And then thinking about how we can actually start to, to create some more, almost like a bit of a schedule around that. So we'll definitely come back to that. Okay. What about you, Robert? Anything coming to mind there? Um, I think probably the, the main thing would be about getting that balance um, of, fitting everything in as mm -hmm. such fight I mean not really a matter of finding time for work that's that's a given going to work it's it's mm -hmm. it's finding the time for the other things uh, around that which fortunately I, I I think I'm reasonably good at um I've, I've made some changes recently for example I've found um getting to the gym on Mondays and Tuesdays um I'm hitting there after work at quite a busy period I've started leaving work earlier, mm. finishing um, an hour earlier that, that day typically, so that when I get there, it's not as busy. I'm gaining, therefore, um, when I'm at the gym, yes, it has a knock-on effect to work, but I then just pick up what I've missed on the non-gym days at work. Mm. Uh, so, so probably that's the main thing, getting striking that sort of balance of finding a way to fit 
all that you want in. And then on top of that, obviously, there's the unknowns come along and where do you squeeze them in? <laughs> I know. Like, how do we plan for what we don't know is going to happen? That's always yeah. an interesting question. The what-ifs. The what-ifs, <laughs> the what yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, just, I just find I need more of it. More time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Be real handy. I'm, run- I'm running out of it. <laughs> totally. We, we so could all just that. sleep less. Sounds like you're dying, <laughs> No, <laughs> I'm all good, man. I'm all, oh, I'm all good. But no, I just, I, I just feel like we need. I think everyone could do with a bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I think I use my time wisely, but not. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I probably don't think about it. Maybe I do rest too much. <laughs> maybe, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So we have a question of where, where is the time going that mm. we have. And is there a way of like, and what we're going to talk about today is that it's, it's a combination of, yes, there's some strategies, there's some tools and tips, you know, productivity, efficiency, all that stuff. But what we really, really need in order to actually find more time for ourselves within the time that we have is a shift in mindset and a shift in our ability to really take ownership and say, actually, it's my responsibility to manage myself maybe better within the time that I have. And we're going to really look at how we can do that today. Um, and, and I believe, and I've had the experience of being able to, to find more time with that approach, even though, of course, we all have the same number of hours in the week and we can never change that. Um, it's amazing how you can shift your own experience of time. So, yeah, so what do you think? Should we dive in? So those are all really good um, specifics. So hang on to those. Think about, as we're, as we're working through this stuff here, think about how that relates to your experience. And um, my goal for you guys is to walk away and for everybody who's listening back to the recording to finish this with a real sense of, right, okay, here's a few things that I'm going to actively practice and take on as a bit of an experiment. And we'll see how that uh, impacts my experience of time. So as you said, Alistair, it always feels like time is just slipping through our fingers. Like mm. it's, it's here yeah. and then it's gone, um, you know, and sometimes, uh, our experience of time can change based on what's happening to us. I think it's really interesting to think about how lockdown impacted, you know, different people had different experiences of time in lockdown. For some people, it seemed to go on forever. For other people, it seemed to go by in a second. So our, the, all the research now shows that our personal experience of time is very much influenced by our own uh, ability to focus, or, or maybe it's better to say, by the choices we're making around what we're focusing on and what we're paying attention to. There's um, a lot of research around a mind state called, that they call flow. It's like a high performance state. Um, it's accessed by a lot of high performance, uh, extreme sport athletes where there's a lot of danger involved, big wave surfing, et cetera. Is, is, that where, are, is that where the expression time flies when you're having fun is? Like when you are having fun, it just seems like time escapes you. Yeah, exactly, Alistair. Yeah. So when we are, um, when we're having fun, the we're so focused, right? We're so in the present moment. And we Mm. sort of, um, we don't think about time. Like if you think about it, when you're really absorbed in a fantastic conversation with your friends, you're not going to be like checking your watch going, oh, geez, you know, 20 minutes has gone by or, you know, you you don't, you stop tracking time in the same way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that's all, all, you know, time is still passing the same way, but your, your attention has changed. Whereas when we're sitting in a meeting and we're like literally staring, staring at the clock because we're so bored, you know, and this person's going on and on, we're watching the seconds tick by, um, you know, time all of a sudden feels very, very different. So when we're in this really deep, uh, flow state and it's something apparently everyone has the ability to access i've never been there but a lot of high performance um as i said big wave surfers rock climbers things like that have have amazing stories of accessing a state of such intense focus that um time actually slows down way more than you would consider sort of a normal experience so it's the ability of um the ability to all of a sudden if say if you're in a wave um, surfing one of those big tunnel waves that they say the time seems to slow down and they can see and sense changes in the water, you know, at an incredible rate, or it seems like they're moving through the water in slow motion. And so the theory is that because these people are achieving such an intense level of completely in the present moment focus, 
that their experience of time is actually slowing and they're able to, their brain is able to take in more information per second than when we're in a normal, just day-to-day -day state. And as our brain takes in and processes more information per second, it, those seconds seem to stretch out. So I just wanted to share that with you to, to really land that, you know, time is this fascinating thing. In one way, it is incredibly concrete and there's only so many hours in a week. In another way, we seem to have this ability to really influence our relationship with time. And so this is something I think, oh, cool. That's really cool to experience. I didn't realize you were a surfer. Yeah, okay. So there you go. First-hand experience of that, right? Um, and so it's, it's something, this is something we want to dig into and take advantage of, right? We don't want to live our lives just letting time be this thing that flies through our fingers. We want to really get in there and, and grab it. So we're going to look at mindset and time and how our focus and our beliefs actually then influence the way that we react to time. We'll look at some really key strategies that are supported by psychology to help us really make the best use in a sort of in an organizational way. And then we're going to look at some things that we need to do to plan to be more successful with our time. And again, bringing that, that intentionality to it of like not just letting the days and the weeks fly by, but really thinking through what's important to me. How do I actually want to be spending my time? Um, and how can I start to craft that more intentionally in my life? So there's 168 hours in a week. If we subtract 56 for sleep, assuming we get eight hours a night for sleep, another 56 for work, assuming we do the, you know, the typical eight hours a day for work, seven hours for exercise, one hour a day, seven hours for a commute, or you could sub that in for, you know, cooking or kind of just the, the bits and bobs that we do to keep ourselves taking over. We still have 42 hours left over. Isn't that crazy? The first time I saw that piece of math, I was like, what? <laughs> Does not feel like there's an extra 42 hours just floating around in the week after you all your, all the things, you know? And so I was thinking about, I was like, right, well, you know, that list doesn't really, it doesn't really fully encompass all the things that we might need to be doing. So let's say we take another 20 hours away from that to, you know, care for our kids, connect with parents. Um, we're probably all of us work more than eight hours a day, realistically, right? So if we, if we add another 20 hours to that, it still leaves us with 20 two hours, which is almost an entire day that isn't allocated to anything that we would typically think of as, as needing our time. So what are we doing with these 22 hours? So in order to understand better, like whether these, where these 22 hours are going, we don't have a sense that we actually have a spare 22 hours a week. And um, we need to understand the difference between traction and distraction. So traction, is something that moves you forward by definition. So when we spend our time in uh, pursuits that are that give us traction, it's time spent in areas that is moving us closer to our goals or moving us closer to the person that we want to be or that we're working towards being. So interesting that when you look at the word distraction, by definition, distraction is the opposite of that. It's time spent in a way that moves you away from your goals or keeps you standing still or moves you further away from the person that you want to be in and, uh, and are working towards being. So we need to become very conscious of whether our time is going to traction or distraction. And when we start paying attention to this, we often start to realize that most of those 22 hours are actually being sucked up by distraction. So what is distraction? So, so some of the really common things, right, that we all struggle with, time, time on our phones, time on social media, uh, potentially at Netflix, um, sort of time in work where we're, we're working, but we're not really focused. We're kind of half working on the project, but then half of our brain is thinking about something else. And so we're not really getting anything done. So those are kind of some typical things, but I want to highlight too that um, being on your phone on, on, on social media or watching something on Netflix isn't necessarily distraction. If you do that in a really intentional way, you know, if you're going on your, on your social media for a purpose and you plan to, and you do that, you fulfill that purpose and then you leave again, then great. That's traction. You've used that for some kind of uh, purpose to help you in your life. 
if we go on our phone to check it, uh, check an email and all of a sudden find ourselves scrolling through Instagram mindlessly 10 minutes later, that's distraction because there's no intentionality there. There's no plan. We've just fallen into it almost through a habitual reactive um, response. Same thing with Netflix. If we sat down and we're like, yeah, I really like this show. I enjoy watching this show. Boom, I'm going to watch this show. That can totally be traction. If we let that episode turn into five episodes that we didn't mean to watch and all of a sudden we're there at midnight, um, you know, thinking, why the heck did I let this keep playing? That's when it's moved into distraction. So the real thing that di differentiates between the two is, is our own sense of tension and whether we're doing something because we mean to or because we're just responding to some cue in the environment that's triggered us to pick up our phone and look at Instagram or whether we're just um, being mindless and trying to avoid boredom or avoid uh, stress. So two different distinctions there. So have a think about where you might be um, where you might be spending time in traction or distraction, where might your distraction areas be? And feel free to share that in the chat with the guys if you want. Um, yeah, the social media audit iPhone does the end of the week is mad, isn't it? Yeah, James, this is amazing. And if you have an app like that, it can be a really interesting thing to observe, even just for a couple of weeks, because it can help you actually tangibly see how much time is being spent um, on social media apps. And sometimes that can be really startling. We don't realize that it all adds up to like five hours a week, you know, um, if we're not careful. Okay, so when we're using time management, and we're thinking about time management, we're usually thinking about it in terms of um, using it to enhance our performance, right? Yeah, that's so true, James. Yeah, like you often aim for traction, right? We, we go in with the intention of traction and then we get distracted. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. We'll come back to this. How do we how do we honor the original intention without actually then falling into the distraction? And part of that is awareness, being able to recognize when you're getting distracted and take a different um, a different uh, option. So we'll come back to that. So, so yeah, time management is all, we want to perform better. We want to be better employees. We want to be better business owners. We want to be better uh, friends, uh, children, parents. Um, and so often we think about performance in this way, that it's our capacity, it's our potential to be really good at something plus information, plus the, the knowledge that's going to help us uh, learn and grow and develop into the best version of ourselves. And that's true to a certain point, but there's also another way of thinking about performance, which is that performance is capacity minus interference. And so what this is telling us is that there's a lot of stuff out there that actually gets in the way of us performing to our best. And when we're talking about uh, time management, it's really actually about being aware of all this stuff, the distractions, the, um, the, the, the doubts, the, the, you know, the struggles with confidence that are actually causing us to lose time, that are, that are taking time away from us and therefore interfering with our ability to really hit this peak performance. So really, we're thinking about what is the interference here and how can we remove the interference? which is a bit of a different approach than thinking, right, I just need to do this next thing. I just need to organize my life this way, or I just need to try this productivity hack, or I just need to uh, read this book, and then it's all going to work. Then it's all going to chink into place, because we could do that our whole lives and never find, you know, the piece of information that makes the difference if we don't get good at first removing all of the interference, all the stuff that's blocking us from just living to our full capacity. And so much of what blocks us comes from our own personal thinking. So this is where mindset starts to play a really important role. So what do you guys think? When you think about being really busy, do we see, are you seeing that as a challenge or as a threat? So is it like, yeah, I'm busy. This is good, I've got lots going on. Is it a challenge? Or is it, oh God, I'm so busy this week. <laughs> And I've I been just, so for me. I, yeah, I find I find a massive thing that I'm always doing something for someone else. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean by that? So like yeah. working to do something and then someone asks me to do something else, and I'm thinking, fuck, I've got no time for that. But I always do make time. But then yeah. but then you're using your time for someone else. And that's when I'm running out of it because it's I'm not using time for me. Always mm -hmm. using time for someone else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So in that moment when you're like, right, I've got this all sorted for me, but then someone comes in and it's like, actually, can I really, 
um, you know, can you do this in that moment? Mm-hmm. There's maybe that feeling of threat, like flip, like <laughs> I don't have yeah. that time, but I'm under pressure. I need to do this for you. Or I want to be the person who says, yes. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also, also I find it hard to say like, nah, yeah. nah, I can't do that. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not that, I'm just not that type of person. Really. Maybe that's it. Maybe I've got to stop saying yes. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that, Alistair. I'm not that type of person. So it sounds like possibly that feel, it feels like that's a part of your identity, like being the guy who does always say yes, who does always make time. Yeah. Yeah. So that, if that's part of your identity, and we all have, um, and everyone think for a sec, like, what is my identity around? around all this stuff, you know, when I, how do I see myself? Do I see myself as the person who prioritizes my challenges? Do I see myself as the person who's yeah, always saying yes to whatever other people need? Those identities yeah, but, are really big. Yeah. But suppose it doesn't really matter what you are. It's just a matter of if you're comfortable doing that. This, there, isn't, there isn't right or wrong. There isn't, right, there isn't a right or wrong way of, of living like that. Because you can make time for yourself and make time for other people. But as long as you're happy within yourself doing that. Mm -hmm. Totally. And sometimes the sense of unease comes from feeling like we have to do something to please the other person um, and get that person's approval or... um, or that, that by doing that thing for that person either helps us feel more secure in ourselves because we're thinking mm. that's what makes that's, mm. that's what a good person does. And if I don't do that, maybe I'm not a good person or I really need this person to approve of me. And maybe that's because they're a friend and they're important to you. Maybe it's because that's your boss and you feel like that relates to your job security. Um, and so that can put another <laughs> level of pressure, which can make us feel resentful on some level. Even though we want to be the guy saying yes, there's some part of us that's resentful about having to say yes. And that can lead to this feeling of being under threat. I think yeah, some that's, extent, really, that's really it's well put. Of, it kind of goes back to balance again as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, in my role, I'm at the top of the chain, so people come to me. Um, mm-hmm. And what I've found is. In that sense, uh, I needed to make time for people because that's their expectation. Mm. Um, And twofold, on the one hand, I've then taken the view as to reducing my own workload so that I had capacity for the people that needed to come to me. Mm. But equally, of the people coming to me, splitting it down into, is this genuine or is this something that person should be able to deal with themselves in which case I've been gently pushing back to the point that those people can cope with what what they should be able to then they're only coming to me with genuine needs for help but I've also got the capacity because I've um, reduced my normal work by offloading that to other people so so it's it's finding that balance so that if you want to be a yes person you've got the space to be a yes person Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah for real yeah, I love that, Robert, because you're you are actually helping those people grow themselves yeah. by not just always saying yes. And I think that's a really great um, piece to bring to the table, right? If we if we're holding on to the idea that we have to always say yes in order to help people, we're that's usually a little bit incorrect because actually by by finding the right times to push back and say actually no, you know that's something you need to figure out. You're actually giving that person the opportunity to learn that skill better, or or discover something, or um, strengthen themselves in some way. Mm. Yeah. So interesting question to always ask yourself, right? Like, is this something actually? Um, is it what's best for the other person? Do they need to be pushed and challenged in this moment, or do they actually really need uh, my support in the way they're asking? Mm. Mm-hmm. So. It's some interesting questions, right? Like when we're feeling under threat around time or we're feeling like we're managing challenges, it's interesting to ask yourself, like what does it really mean when something is difficult? We often um, experience difficulty or struggle and think, oh, this is really hard, so I'm doing something wrong or I'm not cut out for this. 
So I want to suggest that actually when something's difficult, it's usually just a sign that we're in kind of a growing phase where our skills are catching up to where they need to be. And that's always a bit uncomfortable. And there's always a bit of struggle with that. But if we can learn to think about it that way, that when I'm having a hard time, when this is difficult, that actually I'm just in this growing phase, we can actually start to see it as a, as a, as a good thing. And it brings us to the next question, like, do we actually want things to be easy all the time? Sometimes we think we do, but what would that really mean? If everything was easy all the time, that would mean that we stayed in our comfort zone and we didn't actually ever grow or expand or develop ourselves as people. And generally speaking, when put in that situation, humans seem to go out and find a new challenge, you know, like we're sort of hardwired to do that. We think we want everything to be easy and simple, but actually we love the challenge of growing. So how are we reacting to these challenges? And the way that we react to them is so, so important because that's what shapes our experience of them. And then therefore that has a huge impact on our ability to time manage around those challenges. The interesting question too is like, if we believed we could learn how to be experts at time management, or you could replace anything there, if you believed you could learn to be, so think about something that's, that's challenging that you are even struggling with a little bit. If we believed we could learn to be an absolute expert at that thing, how might we act differently in our approach to, to pursuing that thing? So if you think about yourself as someone who just always struggled with time or um, never has enough time, we may not, and we think that that's kind of a permanent state of being, not something we can change, then we're not gonna put a lot of effort into figuring it out. If we think, great, actually, I could personally learn to become an expert in time management or an expert in managing people or like whatever it is that's feeling difficult, then that shifts our mindset already. We think, right, well, how do I go about doing that? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to talk to? What experiences do I need to have to develop that expertise? In a way, it's so, a bit like what, yeah. what we're trying to do in the gym, really. You know, we're mm -hmm. doing progressive overload with a muscle to strengthen and grow it. In effect, we're doing the same here with mindset or with our brain, however you want to sort of view that. You're challenging your, your mind to do something um, that it wasn't before, mm -hmm. which means over a period of time that will then become the new norm for your brain. It will be easy. So then you'll have to try and grow it again. It's exactly the same sort of concept, but in a different way. It's, it's keep pushing something. Yeah, it's the perfect analogy. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Like it's, and it's a great way to think about it, especially for you guys, because of all the work you're doing in the gym, it's such a tangible um, example. So, if we, keeping with that analogy then, right, if we were to go about uh, working in the gym, but really believe, but having an underlying belief that I we were not going to be able to get stronger or lose the weight or whatever the reason is that we're going to the gym for. So if we really believe, so if I really believed that there was no way for me to get stronger in the gym, but I was going, then anytime it got hard, anytime I was struggling a bit in the gym, this is how I would end up reacting because of that underlying belief of like, I can't do this. So I'd start to get stressed. I, my fear of failing, what that would mean would start to get really heightened. Um, I'd probably get thoughts like I'm not good enough. But my brain would start immediately looking for distraction to get away from that, that horrible thought in my head of like, I'm not good at this, I'm failing. So that results in a loss of focus. There's gonna be a lot of worrying. I'm very reluctant to ask for help because I'm going to be embarrassed probably, right? Like, and again, this voice in my head is going to be telling me, see, I told you, you couldn't do this. Like, this is really embarrassing. Who do you think you are? And I'm going to keep focusing on what's not working. I'm going to keep focusing on how hard it is and how difficult it is and how I feel like I haven't made any progress. So if we go to the gym with a growth mindset where we really believe that the, the improvement is possible, we don't know how good we can get, but we know we can keep getting better. Then when it gets hard, we actually have this experience where our focus zeroes in. We're like, okay, it's getting hard here. Like what's happening? This is what I really need to focus on. This is where I'm learning and growing the most. So that forces us to get more clarity on what, around what's really important to us. And we start to really zero in on the small steps of improvement to track where we're progressing. We're willing to fail because we see that that's just an opportunity to learn what's working, what's not working. So we take way more action as a result of that willingness to make mistakes. And we kind of get into this zone where we're experimenting, we're asking for help. We're like, oh, maybe if I squat this way, or maybe if I, um, you know, do this combination of exercises, I'm going to get better results. Let's see. And we focus on what's working and we learn from what isn't. 
So these two mindsets really influence the way that we um, respond to these challenges. Yeah, absolutely, James. Yeah. So what are what questions are we asking ourselves, right? A power question is something we ask ourselves and our brain tends to sort of give us the responses to the questions we're asking. So if we're asking ourselves, well, you know, why am I so terrible at this? Then you're likely to get information back from your brain. Oh, well, this is why you're so terrible. You know, you can't lift this and you mess this up and you were late here. And like, but if you ask your brain, how can I get better at this? Or ask yourself, how can I get better at this? You're going to start seeing that type of information. Oh, maybe I try this. Maybe I work at this. So yeah, what questions are we asking ourselves? And if we think about this in relation to time, if we think about time that we can't, time management is something that we can't change, we can't improve, we're going to end up responding to any time it feels difficult, we get a bit overwhelmed with our time, we're going to be in this fixed mindset bubble. But if we can really hang on to time management and say, right, this is just a set of skills, this is a, something that I'm teaching myself in the same way that I'm teaching myself to, to do different movements in the gym, um, then we, when it gets difficult, because it always does get difficult at different phases, we can come at it um, from this other perspective. Um, Jackie, I definitely think sometimes in life, you need that failure to push yourself further because you learn more when you try to be better. Thanks for sharing that, Jackie. Yeah, absolutely. Failure is the ultimate um, lesson, right? It's such a clear lesson. <laughs> and we can take a lot from that if we choose to see it that way. Yeah, asking positive questions, not negative questions. Love it. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So if we hold on to this belief, I never have enough time, I don't have enough time, there isn't enough time, that's going to immediately throw us in a bit of a threat mindset, a fixed mindset, and it's going to put us firmly in that fixed mindset response when, when things start to get difficult. So the challenge here is to, yeah, definitely do, do that, um, James. James just saying that he might share some power questions in the group. I think that would be really helpful. So the challenge here is to say, right, instead of thinking I never have enough time, I'm going to say that there is enough time. I'm going to lay that down as like a baseline belief. I'm going to say, I'm just going to invest in the idea that this is true, that there is enough time. There's 100, everyone has the same 168 hours in the week. There may even be a spare 22 hours floating around in there for me to grab a hold of. So it's up to me to manage myself really well within the time that I have. And that's what's going to make the difference. That's what gets us into that challenge growth mindset and allows us to keep learning and improving our strategies around what we're doing instead of falling into overwhelm and getting um, uh, sort of flooded by this fear of failure and the sense that, that we're not capable or we're not good enough. So here are three ways that I've found really effective with myself and with my clients around um, managing yourself better within time. So we'll run through these quickly now. So the first one is how can we invest time up front? So can we start thinking about the significance of how we're using our time? Is there a way to sometimes spend time now in a way that makes us time later in the same way that you would invest money now and use that money to create more money? Can we do the same thing with time? Can we get a bit better around our understanding of deadlines? And then lastly, when we're scheduling, can we start to connect our schedule in with what's truly important to us across all domains of our life? And to do this, there's a really amazing technique called a time box schedule, which I'm going to share with you guys. Okay, so the idea of investing time now to save time later. So the key thing here is considering what is the significance of how we spend our time? We're all used to the like urgency importance matrix, right? I think everyone who's ever had a job has seen that at this stage, right? Where it's like, it's like uh, really important, not very important, urgent, not urgent. And then you place the test somewhere in the matrix and it tells you what needs to happen first, right? Urgent things need to happen first, et cetera. So that's really effective in, in helping us understand what to do first. But all it does is it just reorganizes all the things that we need to do um, on our list. It doesn't actually take any of those things away. It doesn't save us any time. So when we think about sig the significance of the task, this is when we start to be able to, um, to think about investing time up front. So the, the idea here is how can we create either a system around something that then takes care of that thing for us in the future? Could I spend a couple of extra hours today building a system around a task that used to take me half an hour every week 
But now that I've invested two or three hours into building that system, now that system's taking care of the task for me. And I don't, and I can save myself now that 30 minutes a week for, for um, forever more. So examples that be maybe, you know, people used to go in and, and physically pay their bills at the bank every week. And um, over time then, um, most people now have created an automatic, you know, online direct debit system where those bills just get taken care of for them. And now we no longer spend time going physically to the bank to, to pay bills. So how can we start thinking about how to apply this in our own life? And so often when we, when we, um, when we invest a bit of time up front into just thinking things through more clearly, bringing in that intentionality, thinking about what's important to us, um, that can be a way of investing time up front to really, uh, because it allows us to then have a clear plan for the week or the months ahead that we can then follow with more confidence and more clarity that, yeah, this is how I want to spend my time. Because I invested those few hours up front to really get clear on that and really think about what's important to me. <clears throat> so sometimes we can run through life thinking, I don't have, the, I don't have a couple of extra hours to, to plan or do that extra big thing. But if we always want to ask ourselves, actually, would doing this now save me time by helping me be more confident, have more clarity? And if so, often there's a real value to doing, to investing that time, just like we would with money. And so I want to highlight that, you know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of hype around productivity, but productivity, when you pick it apart, is really just doing more things and more and more and more things within the time that we have. So if we get really productive, maybe I can do five, maybe it used to take me five hours to do five tasks. Now I can do the five tasks in two and a half hours. What we tend to do is once that extra two and a half hours is free, we just fill it with more stuff because now we're being so productive. And so we've become incredibly productive in our lives. We get a lot more done now than we ever used to because of the help of technology and other systems. But the question is, is it, do we want to keep building more and more productivity? Do we want to keep doing more and more and more and more and more? Or do we actually want to become more efficient where we can actually achieve more by sometimes doing less? And for me, that's really landed for me. Actually, yeah, that's more what I want. I want to be more efficient. And that's how we start to get this balance back. So there's, this is an interesting series of questions to ask ourselves when we are um, planning and, and scheduling and, and sort of setting tasks or to-do lists for us, is to put it through what we call the focus funnel, which is a series of questions that allows us to add this consideration of significance in and um, helps us remember to consider, right, how can I invest a bit of time up front to save myself time later? So the first question we ask ourselves is, can I actually eliminate this task? Do I actually need to do this? And you may be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, 99.9% of the time, yeah, I do have to do the task. But it's amazing when we start checking in with this every time we're putting something on our to-do list or putting something in our schedule, you'd be amazed how often we actually realize it's not a necessity. And so just it's a good place to start. <clears throat> if we do, if we have to do the task, but we can't eliminate it. The next question then is, can we automate it? Can we invest some time now to set up some kind of a system, whether that's a technical system or a system that involves humans that will take care of this for me? And maybe that means teaching something, someone how to do something for you. Maybe that's the upfront time investment. Um, and, uh, and then that person will be able to do that for you in the future. The next question is, okay, if I can't eliminate it and I can't automate it, can I delegate it? And what's really interesting to note about delegating is that in order to actually fully de delegate something to someone, we have to hand over the ownership of the outcome of that task. So if we say, hey, uh, Sophie, I need you to, um, to write this report for me. And so we feel like we've delegated. Inevitably, if we don't give her the outcome, Sophie's gonna keep coming back and saying, well, sorry, I have a question here. Who do you want me to talk to? How would you like me to phrase this? Um, is this right? Is this what you were looking for? <clears throat> and so instead of really delegating, all we've done is put ourselves in a situation where we're at, now we're answering a lot of questions and we're helping Sophie make a lot of decisions around that project. So if we can give over the full responsibility of the outcome, we say, here's the report. This is what I, this is the outcome we're looking for. This is the level of, um, of work I need. And this is the, the outcome we're hoping to get from the client. 
and say, now it's your responsibility to make all the decisions that are going to lead to that outcome, then now we're fully delegating. And again, maybe we need to invest a bit of time now into Sophie to really teach her how to do that properly. But once we've done that, we can, <clears throat> we can properly delegate, properly put something off our tables so that we're not having to reconnect with it over and over again. That's kind of a work example, but there's lots of different ways too that we don't fully delegate stuff in our life. We don't fully allow other people to fully take control of something. We just hang on to a bit of control over it. And so we need to always ask ourselves when we're delegating, am I actually handing over full control or am I clinging in some ways um, to the control in a way that's keeping me involved and, and keeping up, uh, keeping my time? <clears throat> yeah, that is a great example, James. Yeah. So um, when we're getting someone to do those types of tasks, are we actually just fully letting them do it? Are we investing the time to properly train them and then just saying, yeah, go with it. You make the decision, you know, like and empowering them to make that decision. If they're not sure to make the best decision that they can. Um, and knowing that, you know, occasionally they'll make mistakes, but as long as you support them in learning from those mistakes, that actually you're then helping that person grow as well. Okay, so if we can't eliminate it, we can't automate it and we can't delegate it then it lands to us. And then we just need to ask ourselves, right, is this something that's actually quite urgent? Do I need to do this now? And in that case, we wanna schedule it for ourselves and aim to get it done and sorted ASAP. If we know it's something we need to do, but that we don't actually, it's not urgent, it's not something that needs our immediate attention, then we can put it in the later pile. And the guy who came up with this process, his name is Rory and he calls this decision procrastinating on purpose, which I think is kind of fun. So he says, you're intentionally then going, right, this is something I'm going to do later, which is, of course, very different from typical procrastinating, where we just don't think about the things that we actually do need to be doing right away. So this is just the system that I like because it gives you a clear little set of questions to ask yourself that brings your awareness to how you can start changing up the way that you're dealing with all the different bits and pieces of your life, all the different tasks and, and jobs and uh, conversations, interactions that make up the bulk of our day and the bulk of where our time is going. One of the ones that I've found um, quite interesting in the workplace, um, which is a skill I'm still working on, but I'm partway uh, down the journey for, is identifying ones where actually you can go through that and get to, I'll do that later. And with the with time then coming into the equation it actually becomes an eliminate because mm -hmm. something else impacts it or or aren't resolves it or answers it and it's quite a skill to find those ones that you can put in there and actually they self-purge mm -hmm. love that yeah or maybe down the road it suddenly becomes clear that that is something you could delegate to somebody else because of some shift right totally yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so once so once we put it in the later pile, absolutely, let's run it back through the funnel, you know, again, at, at that future point and, and always be thinking, right, is, has something changed? And can I now use this in a different way or put this into a different part of this funnel? Totally. Okay, so focus is very much um, a skill. So just like we've been talking about, you know, uh, developing our mindset as a skill in the same way that we would be developing skills in the gym. Focus is very much like this. So I like to picture focus as like a little muscle in my brain, um, the very specific focus muscle. And that is something I need to do reps with in order to strengthen, just like with the analogy rubber showed before, um, in order to strengthen my ability to sustain focus for longer periods of time. So think about the world we live in. We are constantly multitasking it's actually um, presented as a, as a bonus, right? Like how many people have seen uh, multitasking on a CV or maybe even put multitasking on a CV, right? Robert, you probably see CVs, so maybe you've seen some of those come across your desk. Um, it's amazing, right? And we do, we think about it as, as a bonus, being able to multitask. But what's fascinating is that all of the research now in neuroscience is coming back and saying multitasking is terrible for our brains it's really, really bad for us. And when we're multitasking, we're actually just doing a bunch of things with really reduced skill and, and, and capacity because our brain does not thrive um, on being able to, uh, being forced to, to manage multiple things differently. So if anyone's ever had the experience of 
trying to do a few things at a time and then making some kind of weird mistake, some mistake that you would normally make, like a really easy mistake or a simple mistake um, and being like, oh, geez, how did I do that? Probably because your attention was split through four ways and, and, and we weren't really attending to any of those tasks with the full strength of our, of our capacity. Has anyone ever found themselves watching Netflix and then weirdly picking up their phone and also checking an email or a text or going on Instagram? Far too often. <laughs> Isn't that funny, hey? Like as if as if the Netflix wasn't engaging enough yeah. or stimulating enough for us, right? And at one stage it was. At one stage when we were younger, we would get fully engrossed in a movie mm. and time would go by and we'd be like in that plot line, right? Pocahontas, that one got me when I, <laughs> when I was little, like I was glued to the screen. So um, this multitasking, the splitting of your focus, another word for it is split tasking, where you're, sorry, switch tasking, where you're constantly switching your focus, right, between things, is something we've really learned because of the enormous amount of variety and stimulation that's available to us at any one given time. Another one you might notice it is when you're eating a meal. If you're by yourself, you ever find yourself, you're eating and you're like, oh my God, I'm so bored. I'm eating. What can I do? I need to be on my phone. I need to be reading a book. I need to be watching a show. Like we can't just eat and enjoy the food and just sit there with our thoughts for five minutes, right? <laughs> so this is, yeah, 20 tabs up on the internet, right? We're jumping between all of them. We're trying to do six things at once. Yeah. So if we think about focus as a muscle that we need to do reps with, then all of a sudden, and we, and we, sorry, and we also bring our attention to the fact that we don't want to be multitasking. We don't want to be switch tasking. What this does is it allows us to start noticing when we are doing that and going, okay, there's so many opportunities to do focus reps throughout the day. One opportunity is every time you have a meal, just eat your food. Challenge yourself to just eat your food for three or four minutes. Um, when we're watching a show, put your phone in another room. You're not allowed to do anything else but watch that show. When you're talking with a friend or, or a family member, challenge yourself to be really present in that conversation. It can be so tempting sometimes to be thinking about the email you need to write or the thing you need to do. But like, can we actually do some focus reps in that moment and like zero in and really listen to what that person's saying to us? So our whole day is packed full of opportunities to do focus reps but we need to start noticing them and then we need to start taking advantage of those opportunities to practice them. So I wanna suggest to everybody that they write down two things, two areas where they wanna start practicing this. Um, maybe it's during meals, maybe it's when you're watching a show, um, maybe it's some sort of um, context at work, but by writing them down, it's gonna help you remember to, in those two examples, really practice the, practice the focus, do the focus reps, and as you start practicing it, you're going to start to find more opportunities to do it in other areas of your day. And I have to say, it's one of the favorite, my favorite changes that I've made in the last couple of years, because I used to see multitasking as a strength. And so I was always pushing myself to multitask more. It was like, how many things could I do? Can I do in this moment? How productive can I be in this moment? And I didn't realize how incredibly stressful that was and how scattered it made me feel mentally until I started changing my approach and doing the single tasking or, or focus rep approach. Giving yourself permission to just do one thing at a time allows you to pay attention fully to what's happening in that moment. And as we talked about at the beginning of the hour, um, when we focus in on the present moment, our experience of time changes. We can be much more fully there. We can actually slow time down for ourselves a little bit when we apply that intense focus. So think about where, where you guys are going to start practicing that. I actually did a little bit of that this morning at breakfast, but for a different reason. I'm, I'm on um, an aggressive lean with James at the minute. So because I've got the reduced calories, I was trying to slow down my, my eating, you know, the old thing of taking a mouthful, putting the knife and fork down yeah. um, and actually spending the time to chew it and so on. And as a byproduct of that, I was on the eating rather than doing anything else as well. So I, I can definitely see the benefit of what you're touching on there. But at the same time, I was very conscious of reaching a point where it's 
well this is my brain starting to wander and feeling bored of eating <laughs> you know totally and i think um it, you're probably normalizing the lack of focus as well if you're doing it in your relaxation time like we touched on playing on a phone whilst watching netflix no wonder you then go and do the same at work and as you're alluding to we all multitask but we're not we're just not focusing on what we're doing but because we do it everywhere we think it's normal exactly and we think it's what we should be doing because it's so so supportive of our culture and everybody talks mm. about doing it and, and everyone around us is doing it um so yeah i think that's such a great point and we when it normalizes it we don't catch ourselves and, and sometimes even goes the other way and we push ourselves to do more of it so we have to be the the uh, the trendsetters <laughs> in, for the people around us, right? And start talking about single tasking and how great that is. <laughs> and um, and and there's so much research out there to support this now, right? It's just it's amazing how um, uh, a culture is sort of what's the the common norm understanding of something is mm. always a bit behind the research because it takes time for that new knowledge yeah. to sort of trickle down. Yeah. I'm oh. going to start looking for single tasking on CVs. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Put that in the job outline. Must be good at single tasking. <laughs> People will be like, what? <laughs> I love it. I'll share some some links around this with James so he can pass it on to you guys. There's a couple of great TED Talks um, that touches on this. I think you, you guys will find this interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So one really cool way I find to actually start working on this this single tasking is to do something right at the beginning of the day where you actually zone in with your focus because sometimes we start the day and we just jump immediately into multitasking we're like wake up we start we check our emails and then we like start thinking about the task and then we're thinking about the task <clears throat> or we're finishing that thing while we're eating our breakfast or we're trying to stretch while we're also eating our breakfast like we just jump into this multitasking so if we can just do one thing at least at the beginning of the day that just gives us that zoom, zoom in, focus in moment, it can really set us up to remember and, and build that sort of a different focus throughout the day. So this is why a lot of people do, you know, a bit of mindfulness or meditation at the beginning of the morning, but it can be anything. It could be a 10 minute walk around the block where you don't bring your phone, you don't listen to music and you just go for the walk and just be, you know, maybe it just, means eating your breakfast with no other distractions and enjoying that food so really it can be anything you guys want it to but just think what is that what can I do in that first 30 minutes of my day that's going to really set me up for success so we talked about deadlines so the thing we need to know about deadlines is that there is this interesting phenomenon that's called Parkinson's law where work it's this is what the law says work expands to fill the time allotted to it so in other words if we give ourselves two weeks to finish a project we will likely take the full two weeks to finish that project if we give ourselves two days to finish that same project we usually and there's a very real deadline of two days we will get that done i was speaking to a friend yesterday who told me that he actually once wrote a twenty-five thousand um word book in two and a half days, a whole book, because this crazy deadline appeared and it was this opportunity to work with someone he wanted to work with. And he just literally, he planned out two and a half days, like by the 10 minute increments, he like created the schedule for himself and he just wrote that down and he wrote this thing. So, and he never would have thought he could have done something like that until all of a sudden that very real deadline appeared. So part of the problem with the deadlines that we set for ourselves is that we don't see them as real. When someone else gives us a deadline, a client or a boss, that's a real deadline. If you just say to yourself, all right, I'm gonna get that thing done by Tuesday, but nobody else knows that, and it's just your own deadline for yourself, we tend not to take it seriously. Tuesday comes and we're like, oh, we pushed it up to Thursday. Or you know, we say, right, I'm gonna work on this thing for two hours today. We get to the end of two hours and that pushes into three hours, which then pushes into the next thing we had to do. And all of a sudden we're feeling disorganized and overwhelmed. So have a think, where are your deadlines existing in your life? Where can you be a little bit stricter with yourself? See the deadline as a real deadline and challenge yourself to, to work to that deadline. And we can only do this after we've started practicing our focus because the best way to implement Parkinson's law is to say, right, I'm gonna do this one thing, this one task now for the next two hours. 
I'm going to remove all other distractions. I'm going to maybe even set a little timer for myself, a two hour timer, and I'm going to race the clock. I'm going to see if I can actually get this thing done in less than two hours. But it only works if we take all the other distractions off the table and zero in and focus on that task. And you would be astonished how quickly you can get things done when we remove all the other stuff and we don't allow ourselves mm -hmm. to jump off and on Google or do this or respond to an email halfway through. It takes on average 23 minutes to return to full focus after we've been interrupted or distracted. So think about averaging all the times we change, we switch tasks throughout the day and times that by 25 minutes or 23 minutes. And that's the, uh, the time cost of doing this, this multitasking. And so I really like using Parkinson's law in concert with this idea of single tasking to be much more efficient with our time throughout the day. If, if you're doing that, could you also, uh, particularly whilst you're maybe learning this, could you actually plan in intentional distraction time? So let's say it's a longer time than two hours because two hours isn't a particularly long amount of time. But let's say you've got a task that's going to take you four hours, eight hours, something like that. Could you say, well, I'm going to do a chunk of two hours and then I'll give myself 10 minutes to browse my phone or whatever it is that's the distraction that's suitable for you. And then I'm going to do another two hours. And that way you are getting time away from being too focused in a task, but you're, you're sort of chunking your focus. Would that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I 100% know, know of people who talk about doing that. And I think it's very effective because um, we do need breaks. We do need mental breaks. Um, there's a, is it, I'm not going to say it right, Pomodo, Pomodo technique, where so there's a suggestion that one time expert has made where you, he suggests doing 25 minutes of concentrated focus, five minutes away, 25 minutes, five minutes away. I found that to be short for me personally. I like to focus for longer than 25 minutes that I can, you know, I, I feel that nearly breaks up my flow. But the idea is there that, um, that we benefit from short breaks. In, in within that focus time. So absolutely, Robert, I think that's a, a really great thing to bring in and remembering that all of this is flexible. We can take all these concepts and tweak them to suit us and that we, we take the growth mindset perspective and see it as one big experiment, right? That we're constantly refining. That's where we're really gonna get the best uh, learning out. Yeah, well, I've got one of these. So it's an hour timer. Um, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> my, my coach said to me, he said, you're, you're conditioned from where you go to school you're conditioned for like hour kind of blocks. Right. So he, he said, so, so it's an hour timer. So I'll do an hour and then I'll, and then I'll have like 10 minutes where I'll check my phone or I'll get up and have a drink or food or something and then just reset the timer. And that, that seems to work really well. That's a really cool idea. I like that. Did you just get that on Amazon, James? What a, I've never seen like a giant sand. Yeah, no, so you can get, I think you can get a 45 minute one or a 60 minute one. And I think it's about 15 cool. quid. But yeah, it's really, really good. Mm -hmm. Love it. I might get one of those for the office. Totally. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so when we're, we're, we're talking before about um, unexpected things coming up, right? Like all the things that just come at you through the day that you didn't plan for that didn't fit into your life or didn't fit into your plan initially. How do we deal with those? So this is a handy little technique that I've learned where, um, so say we've, we've taken on part of Robert's suggestion there. We've, we've given ourselves blocks of time of, in, of intense focus throughout the day with in-between times where we, we do check our emails or we check in with our clients um, so that we have that consistency of communication throughout the day. So if we have one of these 10 minute blocks where we're checking emails and we're, and we're seeing what's going on and some unexpected things have come in, the get things done rule, the GTD rule, tells us that if we can do that task in two or two to five minutes or less, then we're better off doing it right away. So if it's an unexpected thing that's coming, if we can do it in two to five minutes, we should do it right away. However, if it's gonna take longer than that, then it needs to go uh, be scheduled um, for a future day. So the key is that either it's done right away, if it's, if it's between two to five minutes, or we don't just sort of throw it on a, on a vague to-do list or just sort of say, oh, I'll, come, I'll deal with that another time. We actually say, right, when do I need to come back to this? Is it Monday at 2 p.m.? Is there someone I need to talk to? And we invest a small bit of time into scheduling that thing for ourselves or at least scheduling a point where we come back to it. And that way we can let it go. We don't need to hold it in our heads. We don't need to remind ourselves it's scheduled. We know what the next step we're taking on it is and when, sort of. 
So taking this approach allows you to sort of action these unexpected things in a really efficient way um, to the best of your ability. Okay, so our next little thing here is just quickly the time box scheduling. So I love this quote, approach your scheduling like a curious scientist instead of a drill sergeant. So Niriel is brilliant. If anyone doesn't know about him, he has an amazing blog, an amazing book called Indestructible. Can't recommend it enough. Um, he's just a genius around all this stuff. And he talks about this concept of a weekly time box schedule. And he takes it beyond work. He says, let's schedule our lives in a way that we make sure we're pulling in what's truly important to us. So number one, we say, right, how much time do we want to spend? on each domain of your life. Like, where do you wanna be spending your time ideally between work, family, personal time? The big question to ask ourselves, right? Next big question, how much time in each domain allows you to actually stay consistent with your values? So in order to answer this question, we need to know what our values are, right? And that might be a little bit of a time investment to actually figure that out. So a value is what's important to us, you know? Is, is things like um, we have big important values that most people hold like loyalty and integrity and family. But then also we have other more personal values like adventure or um, experience, right? varied experience or stability or security. These are all different values. So how, how can we spend our time in each of these life domains in a way that allows us to actually stay consistent with what's important to us? If I value connection, am I making time for the people in my life? Yes, definitely. We'll do that, James. I think that's a great idea. Or you might be doing it yourself, but I'm happy to chime in if you want me. <laughs> okay, so once we have a sense of what our values are and how we can stay consistent with those, um, then we need to say, right, we need to pull in all this stuff. We need to pull in our ability to focus. We need to pull in Parkinson's law. And we need to build out periods of specific focus on these different areas of our life and put some really real deadlines on them. So that means if we're working until 6 p.m. and then we've scheduled time to spend with our friends and our family in order to live to that value of connection, then we need to see that 6 p.m. as a real deadline. It means whatever we get done before six, great. Otherwise, you leave it, you know? And of course, there's some days where things, unexpected things happen. But when we really live this as, some, as, a, as a way of life and we really say, you know, I'm the type of person who really respects my own deadlines we start to see a real shift in our ability to, to switch and be present after work. So as we do this, as we start to put this into practice, there's two key, um, two key questions we need to ask ourselves every week. And I like to do this on a Friday. I look back over my week and I say, right, where in my schedule did this work? Was I successful? Where did I say what I did, what I said I was going to do? And where did I get distracted? Where did I not actually really successfully implement uh, my focus, or where did I not take it? Not, where did I not really realize how long something was going to take me? And then from there, what are the changes I can make then based off of what I've just learned there from looking back, that's going to give me the time to better live out my values. So the idea is that we're always anchoring back to what is important to us as a way of structuring our time. And this has been a real, real game changer for me and for a lot of people that I work with because it gives a much stronger underlying sense of purpose to our time management. So if you think about it, our time management is, is the way that we, it, it impacts the way that we spend our days and the way that we spend our days adds up to our lives. It adds up to um, our future, it creates our future. Everything we're doing today is impacting where we're gonna be five years from now. So it can be really interesting to ask ourselves, where do I wanna be five years from now? And, and, and once I'm, again, another little bit of a time investment to think about that and get clear on that. But once we have a better sense of where we actually want to be five years from now, then we can say, okay, interesting. So is the way that I'm spending my time now um, going to move me towards that vision? Or is there maybe like a bit of disconnect there? So guys, we are coming up to the end of our time here. So the last little nugget I want to give you here is it's sort of, I've already mentioned this a little bit, but it's the idea of, can we stop putting items on a to-do list and just letting this to-do list grow and, and sort of never end? And instead, can we start taking time to really schedule the things that we need to do? All those little tasks, 
and say, right, when do I, when am I going to call that person? Right. I'm going to call them on Friday at 6 PM and then taking that seriously for yourself. That's a real appointment with yourself. Um, so that we can, uh, implement those things. And this has been a, a real uh, game changer for me as well. So we'll quickly, maybe come back to this. And we'll finish here. So we need to remember to look ahead and ask ourselves, like, what is the vision? What is all this time building up to? What's it all amounting to? Because it is, it's going to come, it's going to happen. Um, we're going to move through it. And so if we can be really intentional about understanding where do we want to be in the future, then we can start reverse engineering that and thinking, right, how, how is the way that I'm spending my time today impacting that? So that's the big question I'm going to leave everybody with today. And I think that's something that deserves some serious thought. So maybe schedule yourself a bit of time to think about that, right? Um, and what I'll do is I'll share an exercise with James who can pass on to anyone who's interested. That's a series of questions that really guides you in detail into through thinking about that, that future vision and helps you get really clear on what that might be, um, which then gives so much more intentionality and clarity to what we're doing with our time uh, in the day today. So we'll wrap up there. Any questions, guys? Thanks so much for all your ideas and input throughout the, the hour. It added so much value. No, no questions from me apart from the to-do list because that's what I do mm -hmm. and then like drag it out throughout the week. But yeah, I'll have a look at that. Um, what What do you guys want to do? do? Are we going to do next week as well? Did you want to do the, yeah. the, the next week? Yeah. So what, yeah, definitely. If you, yeah, if you send over the, the sheets and the, and the, like the almost homework and then I'll, I can send that mm -hmm. out and say, right, do this over the next seven days and then we can see where mm -hmm. people have um, made the improvements. Love it. Yeah, that sounds great. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, that sounds good. I like the idea of looking at vision, um, giving thought to where you actually want to be. Yeah, we don't, we don't do it yeah. enough, I think. Jack, you all good there, mate? Jack's falling asleep. <laughs> Welcome, Jack. Yeah. Glad you made it. <laughs> awesome. no, perfect. Yeah, that's, been, that's been really helpful. Um, I've, I've taken about three pages of notes there. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll write it up. And then for guys that are listening back, obviously we've got the podcast that you can listen to as well. Um, that should be done later this afternoon. So I'll tag that in and kind of um, power questions I'm going to get up in the group as well. Was there anything else that you want added in, guys? Or was that it? A good chunk of stuff to think about. Doing something random. Perfect. Awesome. Look forward to seeing you there, Jack. Cool. Look forward to hearing what everybody thinks, what everybody's uh, come up with through this exercise. It's a fun one. Yeah, no, I think that's been really beneficial. I think, especially for like Todd and uh, like Rob with him being the boss. Um, and then Jack just planning in because he has long, long days as well. So that's, that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Alistair when he was here. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, guys, if you can all say thank you to Annika for coming on mm -hmm. this morning, whether you come on or type it in the box. Oh, there we go. Todd, this call is really putting perspective about how important to plan my week is. Yeah, cool. Yeah, totally. It's We're learning. I've been having a go at Todd for months about this, and now he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes just all the information comes together in the right way and lands, and you're like, oh, yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's okay, been great. So we'll we'll park it there then. Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll post it up in the group this afternoon for you, and then I'll get the rest off Annika for next week. Brilliant. Oh. Uh... Oh, things popping up in the chat. <laughs> oh, that's so great to hear. Thanks for letting me know, Jack. That's awesome. I'm really glad it's been helpful. Good man, Jack. Fantastic. I know what you're talking about, Todd. <clears throat> <laughs> Guys, awesome. Thank you so much for being here live. It was so much fun. And um, I love chatting with this stuff. Really looking forward to, to taking the conversation even further next week. So have a yep. fantastic week and uh, we'll see you then. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Have a good Cheers. Cheers.